what is going on you guys welcome back it is dog talk with your host holden hope everybody is doing good today glad to be back with you guys we're finally going to get our uh two a weeks back in order got your episode coming in right here for your monday <clears throat> glad again to have you guys here with us big win big win over tennessee this weekend the only game left on the schedule that i was really nervous about and when i say nervous it wasn't necessarily nervous that we were going to lose it more or less just nervous of what the outcome could be because a lot of things could happen in a game where you're playing in a very tough environment starts to get later in the night now that the sun goes down more crazies come out that's all there is to it uh, and it's also against a team whose offense was very very potent we're going to break all that down coming up here soon uh, first and foremost you guys make sure you follow us on twitter at dog talk 20 if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, rate and review it. Give it that five star if you leave a review. Could be read on an upcoming show on YouTube. Make sure you go and follow us there or subscribe, I should say. Hit that bell so when we do start YouTube back up, you guys will be able to see us on there. Not on YouTube tonight, but looking forward to hopefully getting that back up and running for you guys at the end of this week. That is my hope. So the preview of the Charleston Southern game, a game that, you know, really in the end it's not going to matter that much. Hopefully I'll at least have YouTube back up and running. Also, last but not least, make sure you go and follow us and check out the website there, dogtalkpod.com, spelled the way it's supposed to be, D-A-W-G, talkpod.com. Go and check that out if you guys get a chance. But dogs remain undefeated. 10-0, the first time Georgia has had a undefeated SEC record in a season since 1982. It's the first time that that's happened. Going through the entire SEC slate that you went through in the season, to go undefeated. So that's really exciting. We know where Georgia stood back in the early 80s, and that's where we are right now. We're hoping to continue the trends that happened back then throughout this year. Very excited for this. Georgia takes down Tennessee 41-17, to a game that started off pretty slow, had a lot of beat-up guys, a lot of injuries in it, but in the end ended up just the way we wanted to. Let's talk about those injuries because that's really what we want to talk about off the top here. We had a lot of guys go down in this game. Some guys did return to the game. Others didn't. There were also times late in this game that I was really surprised we had some of the key guys that we did in still in the game. Uh, and, and a couple of those guys went down. Um, some guys, like I said, did come back into this one. In particular, a couple of them, Jamar Salyer, Dominique Blaylock, they both traveled to the game, but neither of which actually played or participated in this game. That was some of the injury front that we talked about. Jermaine Burton, he was back, full-fledged in this game, played really well being back in this game. George Pickens still working with scout team, not in on this game. But into the game, Jordan Davis went down at one point. Didn't see him come back for a little while, but he did get back in the game multiple times. So glad to see him come back. We will keep an ear out for anything that drops throughout this week. Uh, with anything, any of these injuries we're going to talk about. Then Devontae Wyatt, he's probably the one I'm most concerned about, which most people right now are more concerned about Nolan Smith, understandably so. Uh, Nolan got hurt. I think it was like his elbow is what it looked like. Went into, actually went into the locker room, came back out with ice on it. By the end of the game, took the ice off and was celebrating with the team. Hopefully that's a positive you know, a positive turn of events as far as that goes. Devontae Wyatt's the one I'm actually a little bit more nervous about, and that's because he went down multiple times in this game. First time, I think even Kirby said they thought he might have had a strained knee, and then he goes down again later. Uh, from the press conference post-game, Kirby had not spoken with uh, medical Georgia's medical guy, Ron Corson there. I'm blanking on what his actual, uh, you know, his actual title is there. But anyways... 
have not yet confirmed with him exactly what it is that's going on. So we're going to keep an ear out for what's going on there. But those are the main guys between Devontae Wyatt, Jordan Davis, Nolan Smith. There were other guys that went down in this game. I think there was also an offensive lineman. I think Warren Erickson at one point went down. But there was also the conversation that there were seven or eight, maybe even nine guys on the team who were battling flu-like symptoms. So basically the flu, I think I read somewhere where one worded it as like an intestinal virus or something like that. I was like, okay, that's 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 a bit extreme, I guess, to put it that way. But, you know, I made this excuse last week for Florida. I was like, I think that's just an excuse when they say a lot of their players had the flu Turns out that that may have been true. I don't know if Georgia got that from from the Florida game a couple of weeks ago or not, um, but still, just kind of a strange thing to think about if that is, in fact, what happened. Evidently, it's going around though. A lot of guys were battling injury, uh, battling that that sickness, but still played through the game. And I know later into the game, um, Kirby did say a couple of guys, and I'm blanking on who it was. I should have wrote these names down. I apologize, but a couple of guys actually had to sit out for the rest of the game because of that. I think Jalen Carter was one. Um, so that that was affecting the guys. But guess what? Georgia still got the job done. And and yes, I'm going to knock on Florida for a second because they played South Carolina last week and blamed it on that. Blamed a lot of it on the flu with a lot of their guys. But guess what? Georgia played a much tougher team in an offense that is very high-powered in Tennessee and battled through that and still won convincingly. That's what the number one team in the country is supposed to do, though. That One good thing about the defense and, and the injuries that came up throughout this game was we have depth, which is a really good thing, which we've talked about in and out all season long and, and really for the past few years. That's what Kirby has been working on, getting depth, depth at almost all of these positions. Now, linebacker, we're starting to get a little thin, starting to get a little thin with injuries uh, and as well as you know some, some other things that are going on in the, in the program there as well at the linebacker spot. But the guys that are in there can get the job done. Uh, you just don't want to get too thin in positions. Luckily, like I said, we've got enough depth, and, and I was extremely proud with how many guys went down and how many guys were battling this injury and, and the illness that we were able to shut down Tennessee's offense like we were. A team that I think was averaging like every, what was it, like every nine seconds they were getting a playoff. And to be able to slow that down was very impressive. Pre-game, I'd heard that the way that Georgia prepared for this, and I was kind of curious to see how this went. How do you prepare for a team that's moving like that if your offense doesn't already do that or your scout team is not already prepared to say, okay, well, let me just do as much as I can as fast as I can. You're still not going to be able to compete with the pace that Tennessee has been playing with. From what I heard before the game, and I believe this came from Marty McGee, Marty McGee pregame earlier in the morning, was that Georgia actually put two scout team offenses on the field. And when one would run a play, the second one would jump in right behind it and run a play right behind it, right behind it, one after the other, to prepare that first team defense for what they had to face, to prepare it. In this game, only one penalty happened. Only one penalty came across for an infraction where the defense wasn't able to get off the field in time. That's pretty impressive for, I don't know the numbers as far as what it was for other teams, as far as if they had a bunch of penalties because they couldn't get off the field. I know I know there was a lot of conversation, and, and we've said this in the past with guys that fall down and they fake injuries. And the bad thing for Georgia was this happened a lot, but it wasn't faking injuries. I will say probably 98% of it was true injuries. And I say that because I'm going to leave 2% there with the fact that we all know that there is the possibility one guy may have truly just not been able to catch up and been huffing and puffing. But not saying – and we can't, we can't act like Georgia doesn't do it. But we really don't. 
in comparison to other teams in the way that it's gone all season, we don't do that. Um, so maybe even raise that up to 99.9% sure, especially with how many guys were dropping. And there were situations I think that we may have been winded and these guys battling that flu-like symptom kind of illness, no, I don't blame you at all for sitting there for an extra second and, and, and taking that injury time out. So that's a big thing. We're going to keep our ears and eyes and ears out for whatever may come down the line throughout this week. The good thing is Georgia has two games left on the season. Hard to believe we're already at the end of the season here, but you got Charleston Southern this weekend. Should not have to worry about anything. This should be a – not a bye week, but this should be a week where you can really start to rest start to rest those key guys. Not that they won't play at all this week in this game, but this should still be an opportunity to be able to rest, get guys healthy, get guys back. Not to overlook Charleston Southern, because when you overlook teams, crazy things happen. That doesn't happen against Georgia Bulldogs. Not not this year. Not the way that the defense is. Not the way that the offense has continued to move the ball. Then you got Georgia Tech at the end of the year. They're not looking very good this year either. It is at Tech, but that doesn't worry me. does not worry me in the slightest. So you've basically got a few weeks to prepare for the SEC championship, to get guys healthy, start to rest guys. I know we talked about this before this week was it's crazy that Georgia is actually on the opposite ends of what most teams are. Most teams right now, they're battling injury. They're losing guys. Guys are falling off. Whereas Georgia, on the other hand, has actually started to get healthy. Now, I may have spoke too soon. Probably should have knocked on some wood. But evidently, you know, we still got a couple of guys that are dropping. And we I think we talked about this earlier was uh, – uh, Arian Smith, you know, tearing that ACL, you know, he goes down after really coming in and, and finally getting healthy and having him back in and that, that speedster, fastest guy on the team in that wideout position to have him back. That was that was very good last week, and we're looking forward to that. And then, you know, you, something like that happens, which is unfortunate. Um, I'm, I'm blanking right now. There was somebody else. Maybe it was Arian that wasn't an ACL. It was – I've got it. I've got, I've got my note mixed up right here. It was defensively that Tyke Smith tore his ACL. Arian, yeah, so it's Arian Smith that actually went down this week with, they, they, they said it's a broken bone in his leg. In other words, they just called it a broken leg. So he's basically out for the rest of the season. It was kind of weird to see that the wording was a broken bone in his leg and that then the wording was, potentially out for the rest of the season. I don't know how you break a bone in your leg and you come back within the next four to five weeks. Maybe maybe by January 9th, if, 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 as long as Georgia can get to that point. But I, I don't see that being that quick of a turnaround. He was the one offensively breaks his leg this past week in practice. It was defensively. Um, let me get his name right here. Yeah, Tyke Smith was defensively who tore his ACL a few weeks ago. So I got my notes kind of mixed up here. But anyways, that kind of clarifies it. Having those guys drop out as well makes it, you know, a little bit tougher. But again, luckily Georgia has has the depth, has the depth to be able to hold up with uh, other teams, all things considered. Georgia right now still offensively averaging 38.7 points a game. That's 11th in the country. Good enough to be 11th. Four are still first an opponent's points per game, and that is 7.6. You know, for most part, it's been all the way down to 6.5, 6.6, 6.7, stuff like that. Now it's at 7.6. Tennessee did score the most points that a team has scored on Georgia this season at 17. So, I mean, if we're looking at a team and we're thinking, okay, well, what's the most a team has scored on you, and you say 17, that's mighty good. That is mighty good defensively. 
so proud of that to continue strength of record is first in the country as well for Georgia so this is the conversation that keeps happening and we talk we've talked about this weeks in and weeks out and that it's just got to go to the wayside oh Georgia still hadn't played anybody you know Every time they rank somebody and we play them, then they don't rank them and they say, oh, well, you know, that turns out that team wasn't any good. No, that team was good when they came in and played Georgia because you wouldn't have ranked them if they weren't. If they're not, don't rank anybody before Georgia plays them. Matter of fact, if you got a number two team ranked in the country, don't rank them before they play. So that way, afterwards, you don't have to eat your words and say they're the number two team in the country and then turn around and say, yeah, well, maybe they weren't that good. Because clearly right now Georgia's proven that. And I still believe that Georgia is – breaking teams and we're going to talk about that coming up here in just a minute let's run through just a little bit this doesn't matter as much because college football playoff poll will come out tuesday usually after you're listening to this that'll be tomorrow um so but we can at least look at the ap top 25 and the coaches poll that did come out and georgia is at the top of both of those alabama still remaining in that second spot cincinnati in the third there being one of the only other undefeated teams left in the country. I think there are only three now. I could be incorrect about that, but I do I do recall. I know Georgia, Cincinnati, UTSA, and I don't think there's anybody else undefeated after this weekend with, with Oklahoma losing. Uh, it seemed like you know, Wake Forest lost last week. So there's, there's only a couple of undefeated teams left in the country. Uh, the Georgia Bulldogs sitting at the top is one of those and the number one team in the country. Um, so, But look out for that Tuesday. I'm kind of curious to see what happens, if there's really any shakeup in it, because more than likely there's not going to be. Um, let me look back at the week 11 real quick and just look at the college football playoff poll to see what I could see possibly change. Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, Ohio State, Cincinnati. Uh, Michigan, fail, or Michigan barely pulls off Penn State, so Oklahoma Falls, Michigan State. I think, did Michigan State lose as well? They may have. Now there's a question of Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, these two teams coming up in there as well. And I've kind of made my point that Oklahoma State is a team that I like, and, they, and they're they're looking pretty good. They could turn out to be the team to win the Big 12. Right now they're in a good position to do that. And then it becomes a conversation, are they worthy of being up there? That's when it starts to become the conversation. If Cincinnati can win out, do you put an Oklahoma State up there? Once time comes. Now, we still got a couple of weeks of football left to play. There's there's still some pretty big, big games in the SEC alone at this point. Florida, you know, we're going to talk about them coming up. But SEC alone in the West, it's still not 100% decided. Still not 100%, but for the most part it is. All, all Alabama has to do this week, coming up this weekend, play in Arkansas. Alabama beats Arkansas, it's over. Alabama and Georgia will replay each other. On, on December 4th, excuse me, in Atlanta in the SEC Championship game. Before this week, I was kind of thinking that's a possibility. Then Auburn gets spanked last week by, what, Mississippi State or Texas A&M, and then Ole Miss turns around and beats Texas A&M this weekend. So unless Alabama was to lose to Arkansas and Auburn at the end of the year, Alabama will wrap it up this weekend. Um, so it takes a lot of complication to happen really for Alabama to fall at this point. Uh, so as long as they, they wrap up A&M, I think they're pretty much set um, because even if they lost to Auburn at the end of the year and, and Ole Miss wins out, that's the team right now that I believe is in second. Ole Miss still has that head-to-head -head loss against Alabama, so that won't matter. Alabama has to lose to Arkansas followed by Auburn for there to be any kind of mix-up in the West. So we're at least starting to get a little bit more crystal clear eyes on what exactly it is that we're going to be dealing with uh, coming up with, you know, the college football playoff and 
the SEC championship game, which comes before that. But right now, two games left on the season. Charleston Southern Georgia Tech will break down that Charleston Southern game later on in the week. So let's go ahead and jump into that ball game against the Tennessee Volunteers. What a great game this was coming into it. Again, Tennessee, for whatever reason, was being taunted as the team that was going to come into this game and take Georgia down. And there was the very, very strong possibility that could happen. I know I think I said this actually right before the game happened. I said if there's a team that can beat Tennessee left on the schedule, or Georgia, excuse me, left on the schedule, it's Tennessee. It's Tennessee. And I said that because Tennessee's offense is really good. I predicted this game to, get to end 40-17. to 17. It ends 41-17. to 17. So everything pretty much went kind of the way that I expected it to. I had a friend that actually came over and watched the game with us, and I told him, I was like, Tennessee is going to play very strong in the first quarter. They'll probably win the first quarter. Lo and behold, they do. I said, first half, it's probably going to be a pretty close game, 24-10. to 10. Pretty close game, considering, all things considered. I said, but the second half, Georgia will take away with this game. Georgia will put this game away, and that will be all she wrote. Because Georgia's defense, credit to them, turned around really quickly after that first drive and slowed Tennessee way down. Way down. They adjusted very quickly early on, which I really didn't anticipate that happening until more of the second half, which second half they did their job as well, which we're going to get to that uh, momentarily. But I do want to talk about offense starting things off because that's, that's, the, that's, that's the start of this thing. Usually always is. And it starts like this. Stetson Bennett. We need to have the conversation right here, right now. Stetson Bennett, the starter. I have even said on this podcast that I think for Georgia to win the SEC championship game and to win a national championship game, it's going to take JT Daniels being in the driver's seat for Georgia to do that. I'm not 100% of that take anymore. And the reason being is this. Stetson Bennett, 17 for 29, 213 yards, one touchdown. 81.4 QBR in this one, averaged 7.3 yards per pass. He was a little bit smarter with the football in this one. I didn't see him make nearly as many passes that make you really just want to pull your hair out, which I was impressed by because there were a couple of times that that happened. A couple of times that that happened in other games. Um, he was much smarter with the football this time. The other side of it is Stetson Bennett ran the ball very, very effectively in this game. Very effectively. And no knock on JT, but that that I've been I've been clamoring all year that the difference in Stetson and JT is JT has the head on his shoulders and he's got a stronger arm. Some of these passes, like the pass that Stetson had to Brock Bowers down the sideline, in my opinion, JT Daniels is going to put that right in the pocket. He's going to be running up the sideline for a touchdown. Stetson didn't make the best pass, ends up being an incomplete pass. So if you put that in the pocket, it's much better. But the difference is Stetson, when he's pressured in the pocket can get loose and actually scramble and make something happen whether it's a pass there were multiple plays in this game where one time he runs up to the line of scrimmage like he's going to run makes a great pass for a first down another time he kind of shuffles one off he made a couple of plays in this that that actually really impressed me and really surprised me as well not only with his arm in those situations but he also ran the ball very effectively multiple times where it looked like he was reading I don't know if they were these were read option plays or not because Georgia's not really big on doing that, mainly because we really hadn't had a mobile quarterback 
that we used, that we utilized, because we have had mobile quarterbacks, but Georgia didn't utilize that. You know, that was a Jake Fromm, and we're not going to get into that conversation, like I said before. But Stetson in this situation, he pulled the ball many times and, and ran wide open on, you know, left side. Most of the time it seemed like it was on the left side of the field uh, where he was able to just pull the ball out of the, out of the running back's belly and cruise for 10, 12, 14 yards. And that happened multiple times in this game, which I was glad to see. Other times, like I said, he was pressured in the pocket. He was able to get loose, run around, and make something happen, whether it was with his arms or continuing to run with his legs. And that is something JT cannot do. Can't do. He's just not a very mobile quarterback. Now, again, he has the head on his shoulders where he's going to make the right reads, make smart plays, and he's got the arm to make that happen. But when he's pressured in the pocket, he's either taking a sack or he's throwing it away, more than likely. So... That's the difference in it. And right now, I don't stand 100% on the fact that I used to that I think it's going to take JT being the quarterback to win those big games when it comes to the SEC championship game, when it comes to playing the college football playoff. Right now, I don't think that's, again, the same thing. No, that's not to say we don't get in the game in the SEC championship game and Stetson's just not doing it that day and he's not on. That's not to say that we don't bring JT in and all of a sudden JT does prove, hey, Stetson's great, but I'm I'm still here, and I'm ready to bail you out, which is a good thing. You could not ask for a better backup quarterback, and that's strange to say, uh, again, that JT Daniels is QB2. He's not QB1. Right now, Stetson Bennett is QB1, and he's proven that week after week after week. Georgia continues on that same trail of scoring almost 40 points a game, almost 40 points a game. They played really sloppy against Florida but got the job done. Defensively helped a lot, bailed them out a lot. A lot of plays in that one was wide receivers bailing Stetson out with great catches. And that, that again, just sometimes is it's just not all that perfect. And in the Missouri game, Georgia offensively was able to move the ball effectively. This game, what impressed me the most was how well Georgia was able to run the ball. I did not anticipate – I knew Georgia, for the most part, could do whatever they wanted, but I figured most of that was going to come through the air, and it didn't. Most of it came through the on the ground. You know, Stetson throws for 213 yards and a touchdown, but check this out. We, we rushed the ball for almost 300 yards, 274 yards, four touchdowns, and James Cook had himself a night. Finally, he hits that 100-yard mark, 10 carries, 104 yards, averaging 10.4 yards a carry, two touchdowns. One of those was a 39-yarder. And then check this out. He also had a receiving touchdown as well. Caught the ball three times for 43 yards. That was a 23-yard touchdown pass that he caught as well. So he had himself a night. What does that what does that equal up to? 147 total yards and three touchdowns on the night. Very nice. Very nice for James Cook. He again helped very, very much on that offense. Zamir White right behind him, 12 carries, 55 yards in this. Kenny Mack, seven touches, 46 yards, and a touchdown. Stetson, he he ran the ball eight times, 40 yards, and a touchdown on the night. Brock Bowers, he ran it one time for an end around 24 yards, what he got. DeJon Edwards came in there, mop up, touched it three times for five yards. Again, 41 carries for the entire running backs crew, including Stetson, 274 yards, averaged 6.7 yards a carry, four touchdowns, four touchdowns. Really nice uh, for the ground game there. And if I look back, let me look back at the box score here so I can see what, uh, yeah, I wanted to see. Yeah, so Tennessee only got two sacks on the night. The team that came into the Tennessee, I think, if I remember this correctly as well, was leading the country in tackles for loss coming into this game. Lead Led the country in tackles for loss per game, and they got two sacks on the night, three tackles for loss. That was it. That was it. So 
Georgia's O-line, even beat up as it was, not having Jamar Salyer in there and with some other injuries and things of that nature, illness that was coming through, was still able to protect Stetson for the most part. And when they weren't, the good thing is Stetson has the legs to be able to roll out and, again, like we talked about, make something happen. So I was really glad to see that happen. A.D. Mitchell, check this out. He ends up being your leading receiver in this one. Five five touches, 64 yard, or 65 yards, excuse me. He was averaging 13 yards a carry. And really, when you start to think about the, the pass game, it was very even, very even among these top guys who were catching the ball because there was never really a huge explosive play. The longest pass of the night was 23 yards. Another one right behind it, A.D. Mitchell. So low, low. Now we have multiple passes over 10 yards in this one. Stetson actually, I think, leads the SEC in that number. He he leads in, in passes and the QBR efficiency being as high as it is in the SEC, 10-plus yards. I'll get to that stat here in just a second. But Adonai Mitchell, he is your leading receiver, 65 yards. Right behind him, James Cook, three touches, 43 yards, and a touchdown. Kiaris Jackson, two for 32. Brock Bowers, two for 23. Jermaine had a catch on the night, one for 21. Ladd also had one for 14. Darnell had one for eight. Kenny Mack had one for four. And Zeus also had one for three. 213 through the air, a touchdown. Averaging through the air, there for the receivers, 12.5 yards. 12.5 yards, so very efficient there for our running back side. Very glad to see that. The other good thing is Georgia did not turn the ball over in this game. Efficiently to win this ball game, you have to win the turnover margin. And Georgia did that. Georgia did that. Turnovers, two of them. Tennessee had both of them. They fumbled it once, and they also threw one interception on the night. Uh, just what you want to see. Just what you want to see in this game. Total yards, Georgia dominating 387 to three, or 487 for Georgia to 387 for Tennessee. So outgained them by 100 yards. And then first downs, Georgia have four more than Tennessee in this one. Time of possession. This is one thing we talked about coming into this game. As fast as Tennessee's offense is, as fast as that offense is, they did not hold the ball for an entire minute or an entire quarter, excuse me, against Kentucky last week. Held the ball for 13 minutes of change, less than a less than a quarter of the football game, and beat the snot out of Kentucky. That should prove a lot to you in this one. Georgia had the ball 32 minutes. Tennessee had it 27 minutes and 20 seconds. The first half of this game, Tennessee was very very high paced, high paced. They were they were getting on the ball, moving very quickly, being efficient, especially in that first quarter, putting up 10 points. But until the fourth quarter, they didn't score again. Not a field goal, not a touchdown, none of it. So Georgia did very good, and you could tell in that second half, Tennessee was not moving nearly as fast either. They were attempting to at times, and at times it was successful, but for the most part it wasn't. It wasn't. Let me talk a little bit about Todd Munkin before we jump down to that dog defense. Credit out to Todd Munkin here. I was reading a piece earlier that Brooks, Brooks Austin actually put out and spoke very well about this. Todd Munkin, to do what he's been able to do with as much turnover, and by turnover I mean turn around with the guys that you've had, having to go to backup quarterback, having to go to freshman wide receivers. To be able to do the things that he's done and still produce as good of an offense as he has, I mean, again, we go back to it. Points per game in this one, averaging right now 38.7. That's good enough to be 11th in the country. 11th in the country right now. To still be doing that with, again, a backup quarterback, freshman wide receivers, young guys all over the field credit out to him and again I don't know how much of it is dumbing down the playbook or if it's not at this point starting to open it up even more but still being successful with it he's not he's not really being playful with it he's not really putting up you know 
Let me do a bunch of trick plays here. He's not really tricking you a lot. He's just playing down hard, good football. In this game, we ran it down their throat as much as we could. But when we couldn't, guess what? We were able to throw the ball. And that was another thing pregame that I was talking about was, in this game, Tennessee will score. This is not a game that we're going to hold Tennessee to zero. I would have been very surprised if Georgia would have held Tennessee to less than two touchdowns in this game. I would have been. And I would have been proud of it. We almost did it. And that almost that almost happened. And, I, hey, I would have been great, grateful for it. But I also knew that Tennessee's defense, even though they can get a lot of tackles for loss in this game, they would not be able to stop Georgia's offense either, a team that's putting up almost 40 points a game. So credit out to Todd Munkin to be able to do everything he's been able to do this season considering all the obstacles, considering all the speed bumps that he's had to go through throughout the season, losing top guys, missing top guys preseason, right before the start of the season having guys go down. Uh, and then obviously everything that, that the battle has been with JT Daniels, a guy who I'm sure had the entire playbook pretty much memorized from Todd Munkin preseason, getting ready to start this season, and then he goes down with injury and you're having to go to Stetson, who, again, I'm sure has paid pretty well attention as well. But nonetheless, you still have to take into account that he was not the guy who was getting those first-team reps. You know, he's he's taking reps probably second and maybe even third string. I'm, I'm not 100% where he was at the start of the season. To me, it seemed like he was actually third string before he ever got the chance. So – Credit out to Todd Munkin to be able to do the things he does. And I do also want to give that credit to Stetson as well because he has really impressed me uh, thus far this season because earlier in the season I praised him and then I started to kind of take steps back as he made mistakes, as most people always do, understandably so. But, again, he has slowly but surely started to prove himself week in and week out, and we got to start giving him that credit because he has proven it. I mean, look at the games that we've played. And – if you still don't think that he can do it in the big games, guess what? Those games are to come. And if we get in those games and he can't do it, then guess what? Next man up. It's time for JT to prove that he is the guy who can do it. But until that happens, we're sticking with Stetson. I do I do believe these next two weeks, and this isn't going to happen, but I'm hoping that it does, just for Pete's sake, one, for injury side of sake. But then, two, you have the ability for the next two weeks to rest guys especially this week against Charleston Southern. You have a – and, again, I, I, I'm not trying to down Charleston Southern, but you have the ability to rest guys and get JT in the game to have reps, to have reps, game time reps against a team who is going to be far inferior but still have those those routes and, – and not routes, but have those reps with the guys, have the reps with the ones, with the uh, O-line, with – tight ends with all your wide receivers he's going to get those reps i'm sure throughout the week in practice but we need those game time reps as well to get those feet back wet to prepare ourselves for the end of the season in case you have to use him now i'm not saying that he couldn't come in and and pull a tua like they did against us alabama did against us in the national championship or go back to a Jalen in the sec championship the year after and I hate to make that comparison to Alabama you guys know how I feel about that but I'm here I am making it because it's the most memorable thing that we have in our heads I don't think that it would be an issue for JT to come in and do that but I still you still even in those games you had their their backups coming in games getting that mop-up duty getting that game time reps JT needs to have them he needs to have them if you all of a sudden throw him in and he hadn't played in four weeks you're talking about a whole different ball game 
instead of a guy who's at least coming in in mop-up duty and clean things up. I was pretty surprised we didn't see JT at least in the third, possibly even the fourth quarter this past week. But nonetheless, that still happened. Still never did get to see him in this. So I fully anticipate to see him get guys healthy, rest some guys this coming week, see him play in this Charleston Southern game, give Stetson a little bit of a break as well, as well as Tech the following week because I think we're going to have that ability to be able to do that. But it's enough about the offense for now. Let's jump down to those third down dogs. All right, getting into those third down dogs like we talk about here. What a great night by the dogs. What a great night by the dogs. Looking at the offensive side of things for Tennessee, and this is where you get those numbers for Georgia. Georgia, through the air, the biggest way that I anticipated Tennessee to be able to move the ball. Tennessee moved the ball very, very well through the air, 332 yards. They went 30 for 48 between the two quarterbacks in this one. Two touchdowns, did throw one interception on this one. Held Hendon Hooker, for the most part, throughout the game, very well, 24 for 37, 244 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Held them to a 70.7 QBR. Late in the game, I think it was the fourth quarter, you start to get those backups in. Injuries start to happen for Georgia, and they put in Joe Milton. He goes 6 for 10, 88 yards, and a touchdown. He did a good job as far as his side of the ball goes there, Joe Milton, for Tennessee in mop-up duty to be able to score on Georgia's defense. This is one where Georgia was really beat up. This wasn't one where Georgia was very healthy with second and third string coming in and knew that, okay, we can stop this. Now, I still had faith that Georgia could, but I also wasn't necessarily concerned if Georgia couldn't. If Georgia couldn't, again, Trayvon Walker, he falls on a fumble. Uh, and then what we do have was uh, – now I'm blanking on who got our interception. Yeah, De'Aaron Kendrick, yeah, yeah. I thought it was a 13-yard reception on, or turnover. Excuse me. Pick on that one. Nicobe Dean, he led the he led the team. Total tackles eleven, five solo. Channing Tindall right behind him. Eight total tackles in this game. Channing Tindall had three sacks in this game. Three sacks. He was on fire. Six solo tackles. So he did lead as far as solos go at six. Quay Walker right behind him at six as well. But three sacks. Nicobe Dean, eleven total tackles, five solo, had one sack on the night, two tackles for a loss. Then you get Lewis Seen, eight total tackles. Three of those were solo. Quay Walker, six tackles. Every one of them solo. One of them was a tackle for loss. Darian Kendrick, six tackles. Four of those were solo. Devontae Wyatt, six. Latavius Bruni, five. Christopher Smith, four. Payne Walker, three. Nolan Smith, three. Trayvon Walker, two. Jalen Carter, two. Jordan Davis, two. Chaz Chambliss, two. Jamel Walthor, two. Robert Beal had one. He also had a sack on the night as well. He looked very good, very good. Came pretty much untouched in that that one, which was nice. Kenny Mack, how about this? He gets a tackle on the night. Kind of weird to see some of those, which most of the time that comes kind of in like punt punt rotation. But 79 total tackles in this game, 79. 49 of those being solo guys. And then you had six sacks, six sacks, nine tackles for a loss in this game, six sacks, going back to a really good number for that Georgia defense to be able to put up uh, in this game. In this game, very impressed to see Georgia continue their dominance. They did, again, that first drive for Tennessee, they were able to drive the ball down really fast, scored on us. But from that point on, Georgia only gave up a field goal until late in the fourth quarter. Late in the fourth quarter. So proud of that dog defense to continue to stand up the way they were, considering how strong and how fast this Tennessee offense was. Again, I knew that they were going to score in this game, 
and I'm very, very proud of how well Georgia's defense was able to hold up and adjust, how quickly they were able to adjust. This wasn't a situation where they came in. I kind of thought it was going to be more of the second half when Georgia kind of adjusted. No, they adjusted in the first quarter. Tennessee drove down, scored. They did, they did kick a field goal, get close enough to kick a field goal also in the first quarter. But from that point on, Georgia's defense locked it down, locked it down. Second quarter, didn't let them score. Third quarter, didn't let them score. Again, they didn't score again until the fourth quarter. The adjustments that they were able to make was very impressive to me. I don't know if it was the second quarter or the third quarter that that was the first infraction Georgia's defense had not being able to get off the field. And it was kind of, to me, it was kind of a cheap play uh, for Tennessee. Tennessee ran like three or four of their offensive linemen towards the sideline when they were on their close hash mark. And then when they noticed that Georgia was subbing their defense, guess what? They ran right back out on the field and got set really quick. So they never actually made any kind of a an adjustment or any kind of a, a change on their offense. So it caught us red-handed. Credit, I guess, out to Tennessee in that one. But, again, that was kind of a cheap play to be able to make to – to get, but I guess at that point you got to do whatever you can to try to beat the number one team in the country, even if it means just that. That was that was that was a load of crap to me. But that's that's neither here nor there. Again, that's just me. Georgia held Tennessee to 55 total yards on the ground. 55. Jabari Small held him to 49 yards, so he had the most carries. Joe Milton was sacked twice in this game, twice I believe, for 15 yards. 15 yard loss. Hendon Hooker total. Suppose of carries, again, that doesn't really affect in for what it is actually on offense and what is running and what's being sacked, but seven total yards on 17 carries. Georgia was also able to hold Jalen Wright to five carries on 14 yards uh, as well in this one. So dogs defense, as usual, held up, did a great job, was able to do their job, and very proud of that defense to be able to hold Tennessee to 41-17. Getting down to the predictions on the weekend. Didn't actually have anybody write in on predictions this weekend. Usually I have a lot uh, and didn't have anybody, which was surprising, but is what it is because I came pretty doggone close. I predicted this one 40-17. to 17. Hey, 41-17, to 17, I'll take being off by one point uh, on that. Was glad to see it. Proud of the dogs for getting the job done in this one and being on top again. Again, first time since 1982 that the Dogs able to have an undefeated SEC record through a season uh, and glad to see that happening. Looking at my Week 11 picks, not quite as good in this one. Uh, some of the picks that I did throughout the game and everything like that, looking at it, were much better than what actually happened pregame. And when we did the episode before, I took Texas A&M minus 2.5 over Ole Miss. That one didn't hit after Ole Miss actually ends up winning this one over A&M. was surprised by that. Did take Arkansas minus two and a half over LSU. They did win by a field goal, so give me that one. But I did take Purdue plus 20 versus Ohio State. I thought they'd keep it a little bit closer. That one ends, I think, by 29. So Ohio State covers that one. So I go one and two on the weekend. Not the greatest, but hey, dogs won. I was within one point of that one, uh, so I don't mind that one nearly as much. i tell you what, let's go ahead and jump down to those games around the country. Here we go. Some of the biggest ones that we did have come up this weekend. This past Thursday, I know when I was recording, North Carolina and Pitt were playing. I picked North Carolina in that one. Pitt ends up pulling it out by a touchdown in overtime. Then you got Cincinnati and South Florida on Friday. Cincinnati did pull that one out 45-28. to Then we go down to that Saturday slate. Oregon, Washington State. Oregon let Washington State hang around pretty close in this one. And if I remember correctly, Washington State actually fired their quarterback. And they may have actually been Washington I may have that wrong. But anyways, Oregon pulls it out 38-24. to 
We just talked about Purdue and Ohio State. Ohio State pulling that one out by 29-40, or 28, I guess it was, 59-31. to Michigan, number six, Michigan traveling to Penn State. They pulled that one out just barely, 21-17 to over Penn State. Michigan State, they did actually win this past weekend. My apologies. 40-21 to over Maryland. Oklahoma and Baylor, I picked Baylor in this one. Again, I should have picked some of these games uh, in our in our pregame show that was last Thursday, but I just didn't didn't think about it until I guess their Saturday when I started looking at them. But I took Baylor in this one. Baylor does does pull it out, twenty seven to fourteen. Oklahoma no longer undefeated. We've talked about it all season. They're overrated. Finally, a team came into this one. They they should have already lost once, probably probably in twice or maybe even three times in this season, and they've just squeaked by. They've gotten lucky, and finally. Baylor comes in and stops that, and they get the job done. 27 to 14. Caleb Williams looked bad, bad in this game. It's crazy that Spencer Rattler starts the season, gets benched. Caleb Williams comes in, he gets benched. Hello, what's going on at Oklahoma other than finally losing? And at the end of that game, what a what a wild ending to that one. Uh, Baylor's got the ball set up basically to kick a field goal. There's barely any time left on the clock. Lincoln Riley is losing his mind because Baylor is they're they're storming the field. So he loses his mind, has to get his own players out of the out of the doggone locker room, get all the students and everybody off the field. Baylor kicks a field goal and just makes it even uglier by the end of it, 27-14. And then they get to come on on the field. But irate for no reason. I guess he was just mad because he lost, uh, even though he shouldn't have been too surprised because they should have already lost and have gotten very lucky. But, hey, let him, let him have his panties in a wad for a little while because they will fall and they will not have a chance at the college football playoff anymore unless just the absolute unthinkable happens and I don't think that's happened so then we get down to the team that they they have to start giving a little little bit of credit to and that's number nine Notre Dame they went over Virginia at Virginia 28 to 3 now that isn't the reason you do it but they're nine and one they're nine and one on the season again ranked ninth in the country so they should bring up as well again my dark horse kind of pulling up in this one was Oklahoma State they smashed TCU at the house 63 to 17 the big game in the SEC of the weekend that I was not anticipating uh, this happening after the way A&M was able to handle Auburn last week. A&M gets handled by Ole Miss. Matt Corral actually looked really good in this game, 247 yards and a touchdown. They win that one 29-19 there at home in Oxford. NC State, Wake Forest, another one that I took NC State in, and they almost pulled it out there at the end, but Wake Forest holds on to win 45-42. Mississippi State, Auburn, how about this one? How about this one? Mississippi State winning this one 43-34. to Ends up winning this game by nine points. But at halftime, this game was 28-10. to 28-10, Mississippi State had the lead. Right before the half, it was actually 28-3. to Auburn, excuse me, had the lead. And Auburn just went silent. Auburn went absolutely silent. In the third quarter, Mississippi State puts up 13 points. And then in the fourth, they put up another 20 points to come all the way back and win this game. Win this game 43-34. to I told y'all coming into this one, Will Rogers had a great game last week. Actually, evidently I didn't mark it this week, but I took Mississippi State in this one as well. And lo and behold, wouldn't you know, they did it. They got the job done, and that's because I felt like Will Rogers has been very good. Very good, and he was very good the week previous. And he came into this one. Check this out. 44 for 55. Only had 11 incompletions. 415 yards alone with six touchdowns. Will Rogers, have yourself a day lighting Auburn on fire. Again, that first half, not not so much. But that second half, he got the job done. Wisconsin takes down Northwestern 35-7. to Minnesota almost pulls off Iowa. Iowa does 
hang on to win 27 to 22 there at the end. San Diego State struggle win there 23 to 21, almost losing that 9 and 1 record there at the House to Nevada. UTSA they're holding on to their undefeated record by 10 over Southern Miss, a non-good 1 and 8 at the time Southern Miss team. Brings the scare to them. It took 10 points in the fourth quarter for UTSA to pull away with this one, 27-17. Arizona and Utah. Utah struggling with this one uh, there and also let Arizona hang around there at the end. But they do pull it off, 38-29. Again, that Arkansas-LSU game, that was a good one. Took it to overtime, but Arkansas wins for the first time in LSU, I think, at Death Valley in a while. But it's also snaps, what, a five-game losing streak to LSU. Went it in overtime by a field goal, 16 to 13 so that is the biggest games that there were around the country so that is for the most part going to wrap me up in this one as always i appreciate you guys listening make sure you follow us on twitter at at dog talk 20 check out the website as well dogtalkpod.com i will check in on you guys later on this week as we preview the charleston southern game that we have coming up glad to see the dogs get the big win over tennessee yet again 41 to 17 i'll check in with you guys later this week go dogs